0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. As we approach the end of summer. But this morning, as I said, we are in Proverbs chapter 26. And one of the things you're going to notice, Proverbs 26 begins with 12 verses looking at the fool. And, you know, we've been talking through the book of Proverbs that this idea of the fool or of folly has been mentioned repeatedly in the book. Now, when we talk about the fool, we think of the goofball. Oh, that guy's just such a fool or something like that, or somebody that has done something so stupid, and we're all like, why would they do that? They're such a fool. Now, in the Bible, however, it can take on those meanings. Maybe not the goofball meaning, but it can take on that person that does something that just doesn't make any sense. But the fool that Solomon is talking about in the book of Proverbs is synonymous, almost synonymous, with the sinner or with sinfulness. And this is a person that they know, and yet they do something else uh, besides the point. You already know this. What are you doing? And so there's this measure of a sinner and sinfulness, but also a willful disobedience. Yeah, I know what I should do, but I want to do what I want to do. And so uh, as we're looking at that, we want to keep that in mind as we're talking about this fool. So folly, knowing the truth, but ignoring the truth, willfully going your own way, despite knowing the way that you should go. So verse 1 is the first verse that's going to talk about this idea of folly or fools and it says this like snow in the summer or rain in the harvest so honor is not fitting for a fool. Snow in the summer, rain in the harvest, and by rain in the harvest, it's talking about non-stop, continual rain, almost like we had like last week or something, or you might have in the spring season. You might get a ra- day of rain here and there, but if you get it day after day after day, it's going to ruin the harvest. It's going to be certainly an inconvenience, and secondly, it could be destructive. And similarly, this idea of snow in the summer. You think of when we have those uh, sort of those late freezes that take place in the early spring. And you're watching on the news up here, and they like, oh, it's going to be chilly. But they're talking about down in Florida, oh my gosh, the oranges. We've got to cover the oranges. They're all going to be destroyed. So it's an inconvenience, but it could also be destructive here. And so Solomon now is going to make a comparison between the destructiveness and the inconvenience of snow in the summer and rain in the harvest to a fool that is given honor. And he says, so honor is not fitting for a fool. In another place, Solomon declared that this practice of giving honor to a fool or putting a fool in a place of honor, uh, that it's a contributing factor to the vanity of society. Where you look around, and you're like, what is going on in this world that we live in? Well, many times it's because our leaders... I'll let you answer that, or finish that. Many times, that's the problem. Like, what are they doing? And why are they doing such a thing? This is what Solomon said. Now, in our version up here, the next one up there, it's going to say it's in Proverbs up there. This is actually from the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon says this, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. A fo- folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. Folly is set in many high places. And he said it's, a, it's an error of our society that many of uh, the foolish rulers are going about. And so Solomon's going to look at this idea that just as snow is out of place in the summer and rain is out of place in the fall, well, so too, for a place of honor, a fool shouldn't be there. It's out of place. It doesn't make sense. And I think many of us are, would agree that a contributing factor to the vanity of our society oftentimes is that fools are placed in positions of honor and they destroy the society. And so whether you are a business person making promotions at work or you're stepping into the voting booth come November, keep Proverbs 26.1 in mind. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Amen? Not quite sure? All right. File it away. Think about it. Verse 2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a cursed that is causeless, does not alight. So this idea of a causeless curse is as harmful to us as a sparrow or a swallow that goes flying on by us. So a causeless curse. If you've done nothing wrong, then you don't have to fear another's attempt to harm you with their words. It's this idea of the sweetness of the safety of innocence. Where you know I've done nothing wrong, and so the folks come in and they start throwing around accusations, or I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna get you, or whatever, and you're like, I'm free, I didn't do anything wrong, I don't have to worry. It's like a bird that kind of goes flying by. They're afraid of you, the bird is, and so you can just kind of ignore it. The other morning I got up real early, and I went out to the the deck. It was like five in the morning, nobody's awake, and there were all these bats. Outside of my house. I know. Nobody wants to come tonight for the event, I'm sure. Uh, but they're gone. I don't know where they went, but they're gone or whatever. And so I go outside. I was going to sit on the porch, wait for the coffee and things like that. And these bats are flying around. And so I was afraid. And so I went in. Uh, and I don't know what the bats did, but they're out there. So anyway, think about it. All here. But if you are a person that has done nothing wrong, if a person comes and accuses you or they're going to get you or I'm going to let everybody know, you have nothing to fear. And that's what Solomon is getting at here. The, the birds will come into view, and then they'll be out of your view, and they'll move on to the next thing. And the same thing with the costless cur- causeless curse, you can ignore it. And you ignore it, and it will pass before long, and it will be on its way. You don't have to get all freaked out. You don't have to defend your case. Just ignore it. It will go away. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and did I say right? I'm sorry. I'm bad with that word. It's a, it's a donkey, right? Okay. I get it wrong all the time. I say donkey. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. A whip keeps the horse in line. A bridle will keep the donkey in line. And a a rod is needed for a fool to keep them in line. David wrote this, Psalm 32. He said, don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And so you have an undisciplined horse or donkey. You need outside force to compel that animal to act in a certain way. And David's simple instruction is don't be like that. Don't be the type of person that needs outside force to keep you in line or to be doing those things you're supposed to be doing. Solomon says that's what the fool needs. The fool needs outside correction to keep them in line. Now last week when we were together, we learned the importance of developing that important character trait of self-discipline or self-control. And I made the statement at that time, there may be no more important character trait that you should work toward developing in your life than the character trait of self-control. Because if you've got self-control down, you've got almost every other area of your life down as well. And here we're looking at this idea of a people that do not have it. A fool does not have that character trait of self-control or self-discipline. They, they, they're unable to self-govern themselves unless they are confronted with outside force or threat. Unless someone raises the whip, like it might do with a horse, or unless someone says, you do that and you're going to, then that's the only thing that actually controls that person. And Solomon, or excuse me, David really says, don't be like that. Don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. You don't want to be that type of person. And so for us as believers, if that defines me, if I'm the type of person that only does what I'm supposed to do if someone's going to catch me or if there's a disciplined threat that is coming against me, that's how we work with children. But as we grow into maturity, we shouldn't have to have it. We should be able to control ourselves internally from the inside out. And if it describes you, you're a person that is only controlled by outside threat, you want to make that a matter of prayer, a serious matter of prayer in which you ask the Lord, Lord, change me. I want to be changed from the inside out, and I want you to create within me a desire to walk in righteousness. And I'll add this. If you're a person that's making a decision about, like, for instance, who you're going to hire for a particular job or who you're going to put into place as authority, as we're all going to do this coming November, then you want to avoid that individual that is only motivated by threat or discipline. Because as Solomon tells us here, such a person is a fool. And a fool is only going to bring you difficulty in the days ahead. So for yourself, allow the Lord to create in you that character trait. And as you make decisions about others that you're going to put in positions of authority, make sure the Lord is doing that the same type of work is happening in that person's life as well. Verse 4 and 5 we're going to read. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now that seems contradictory, doesn't it? One says don't answer a fool. The other one says do answer a fool. Again, it seems contradictory. Now they're not because there are two different points that are being made. One is being made in verse 4. The other is being made in verse 5. In verse 4, the instruction is this, don't answer a fool in the same manner as a fool. And so if a fool is erratically screaming at you, don't respond to that fool by erratically screaming at them. I remember an instance I was refereeing a soccer game and somebody was screaming at me. And I screamed back at them, don't scream at me! And he looked at me like, you're screaming at me. But I'm in charge, is what I said here. But I responded as a fool, no offense to the fella, but I responded to his foolishness as a fool myself. That's what Solomon is getting at. Because the observers are looking and they're like, well, which one's the fool? They both are fools because they're both acting in a foolish manner. Now, you remember, let me give you an example from Scripture. You remember in Numbers chapter 20, Moses is leading the people of Israel out of slavery, wandering through the wilderness into the promised land. He comes to this particular instance where the people are grumbling and complaining and they're frustrated and they're angry, and they bring it to God's representative, essentially. They bring it to Moses. And Moses is frustrated and angry by their frustration and anger. And you know the story, correct? Where Moses responds in that anger, he responds in that frustration. Numbers chapter 20, go back and read it. The consequences for Moses acting like a fool, like the people he was dealing with, were quite severe. And so Moses there responded to their foolishness in foolishness. And he realized, if you will, what this verse is trying to communicate here. So our first idea is don't answer a fool in the manner of his or her folly, lest you become like them yourself. Now, the second point is found in verse five. And so again, I'll read it to you. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eye. Verse four don't be, the tendency to become like the fool. If he's boasting of his greatness, you don't need to boast of your greatness to prove them wrong or things like that. If they're screaming and yelling at you, you don't need to scream and yell back at them. But here now in verse 5, what Solomon is saying is not to let a fool off with their folly altogether. And so if that fool needs to be reproved or rebuke, be, rebuked, then according to the pattern of Scripture, you need to go ahead and, And rebuke that individual according as their folly deserves. And the reason why is lest they remain wise in their own eyes and continue on in their foolishness. That's one thing. And the second reason why you have to do it is lest in their foolishness they influence other people as well. And so in those particular instances it behooves you to step up and to speak truth into their lies. And Job provides us a pattern of this. And so you remember in the book of Job where Job's uh, friends, his counselors, they come and they begin to share all sorts of things with him, which are not, they weren't all true. Some of them were true. Many of them were true, but they were not all true. And Job, in the midst of that, he speaks truth into their circumstance, lest they go on and continue to hurt people with their foolishness. And so as you take four and you take five, once again, what we see is the importance of being prayerful with the words that we allow to come out of our mouths, And how the tone and and sort of the manner of which we speak. How do we know when to say something? How do we know when to say nothing at all? Well, that involves, that needs prayer. And so you seek the Lord in those particular instances. And if you're not sure what to say, then you need to wait before saying anything at all in those instances there. So they're not contradictory, but they actually team up to nail home this important point of knowing when to keep quiet and when to speak. When dealing with a fool, and that's what we've entitled this particular uh, sermon, How to Deal with a Fool and Other Shady Characters. When dealing with a fool, time and manner need to be taken into consideration in your interactions. Because to answer a fool according to their foolishness would be to shrink to their level. And we certainly don't want to do that. But on the other hand, not to answer them may communicate this impression that they're right. Further fixing them in that position and leading other people astray with that position. And so, then, wisdom in those instances would be to correct them according to their foolishness with the hope of protecting other people and even themselves from descending further away from God and His will. Does that make sense? I hope. All right, good. Verse 6: Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. So, again, how to deal with a fool? Solomon says, well, be very careful in entrusting important tasks to a fool. And so to send a message by the hand of a fool is in reality to work against your best interest. This phrase here, to cut off the feet, it's a phrase which means to render oneself useless. And then that phrase there that says to drink violence, the idea, some versions even translate it, it's to invite damage or destruction Uh, into your life there. And so to render yourself useless, to invite damage or destruction or injury into your life, that's what happens when you entrust an important task to a fool. Because the fool can't be trusted to follow through, as we have already seen in our study of the book of Proverbs. And so if you entrust to a fool something that they need to follow through on, you're only going to cause for yourself more difficulty. So let me give you this scenario here. Let's say that a messenger fails to follow through for a particular company, who receives the negative review on Angie's list? The messenger or the company that the messenger worked for? And typically the review goes something like this. So-and-so company is awful. Their delivery guy was so unreliable, I'll never use that company again. Nobody knows the delivery guy's name. And that delivery guy gets a job somewhere else. But everyone knows that company stinks. And so you entrust yourself to a fool. Don't be surprised that you're inviting greater difficulty to yourself later on. Because things happen sometimes. You hire someone. You think they're going to be a good hire. You entrust something to someone. You think they're going to be able to follow through. And that happens sometimes. But when a known fool, you employ a known fool who's already demonstrated that they are unreliable and can't be trusted. What did you think was going to happen when they fail you and your organization? Right? Make sense? And so don't entrust uh, an important task to a fool. That's how to deal with a fool. Verse 7, like a lame man's legs which hang useless is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Now typically a person's legs, if they're healthy and so on, would allow that person to get up And to move about and go from here to there, they can accomplish all sorts of things because of the strength of their legs. But in the event of a circumstance where their legs are rendered useless for one reason or another, those legs then are no longer able to accomplish what they typically would be able to accomplish. And so what Solomon does here is he compares that idea. So here's a guy who's got bad legs, bad ankles, something like that. He's just sitting in a chair. We would look at him. They look totally fine. Nothing is wrong with them. And Solomon now is going to make that comparison because when that guy tries to stand up, then everyone's going to know, oh, that's right, he's got a bad ankle, and he falls over. Similarly, this idea of a proverb, a proverb typically, usually, should accomplish a lot of good. And when spoken, truth is spoken into a person's life. But when that proverb is in the mouth of a fool, It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And so we have here in our Bibles the words of eternal life from heaven itself. Words of truth that each of us can sit under. And that's why we come here. That's why every morning we get up and we read our scriptures or later in the day or whenever it may be. But when these words of truth come from the mouth of a fool, the lifestyle and the decisions of that fool in so many ways negate all of the wisdom of this book. And so those words then, the Proverbs or whatever it may be in the Scriptures, they become useless to that individual. The guy with the bad ankle still has an ankle, and he still has a foot. But because there's a problem with it, he can't stand up on it and walk on it. And similarly, these words are still true. But because uh, this person is living or making decisions that are marked by foolishness, then all of these truths are negated in that person's life. And if that person, don't you love this? when the person who doesn't even live by these truths spouts them to other people that they should be living by these truths, well, those words become useless because I hear what you're saying and your life is the complete opposite. You're not even trying to live by these things. Why would I give any attention to you at all? Make sense? Now, God can still use his word. And he does use his word in people's lives. But so often we see as someone trying to spout out the words of truth and their lives shut people off. You don't even want to hear what you have to say because you're a hypocrite and you have no interest in living these things out for yourself. When does that become readily apparent? When the person sits quietly, nobody thinks much of the person. But when they start spouting those things out, then their folly is revealed. Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, both of them, they were quoted as saying something to this effect. It's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubt. And in in reality, a fool is really revealed when they begin to try to speak these great truths that don't line up with their lives. And that's what Solomon is getting to in that instance there. Verse 8 goes on. It says, like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor... A fool. Now you have to keep in your mind not this kind of slingshot like on the Little Rascals where you pull back the rubber band that shoots the rock, but you got to think of you know this kind of slingshot. And and the idea is if you take a stone and you tie it up in that sling and it's nice and tight and firm in that sling, you could swing this thing all around all day, but when you finally snap it so that the rock goes flying, it's not going to go anywhere because it's bound up within the sling here so that's the picture that Solomon is giving to us and then he makes the comparison and he says then the idea is it is senseless to honor a fool as it is to bind a stone within a sling and that goes back to the idea of verse one remember like snow in the summer or rain in the harvest so honor is not fitting for a fool it doesn't make sense And it's not going to accomplish what you're hoping it's going to accomplish. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So the idea is to take a long thorn, not some little thin rosebush thorn, but a long thorn that, that might be two, three inches in length. And that thorn or any sharp object at all, when it is in the hand of a drunkard, is almost certain t- going to prove harmful for that individual and perhaps even other people. Before long that drunkard's gonna do something done with that sharp object and either stab himself or herself or somebody else along the way. And the comparison then is wise sayings in the mouth of a fool Are going to have a harmful effect. They lose their value, they lose their usefulness, and they can even be painful as they are employed in the lives of other people because the fool doesn't know how to wield them properly. Verse 10, like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. Now if you're reading a different version, you know that that, what I just read is kind of different perhaps than what you have in your particular Bible. There is some obscurity in the original Hebrew that has caused translators of this verse to, to go in a variety of different directions. So I'll give you an example. The ESV I just read, like an archer who wounds everyone, is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. The NLV says this, an employer who hires a fool or a bystander is like an archer who shoots at random. Okay, so there's similarities. But here's the King James The great God that formed all things both rewarded the fool and rewarded transgressors. Very, very different. Okay, And that's because the the Bible translators are doing what they can with the text. And what do these words mean in other instances? And so the King James came up with what it did. So scholars struggle then for agreement amongst themselves. I would say this. None of those ideas are, are false and they're not true. It would concern us if we looked there and it said, there are many ways to God beside Jesus. Then we would be concerned, all right? But nonetheless, if you have the King James, then you can go home and study that. Let me tell you what the ESV says, okay? It, again, it says, like an archer who wounds, everyone in who hi- is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. The idea there in the ESV, similarly in the NLV, is this, that to hire an unknown person or a wicked person is to invite disaster or, and harm for yourself and others. If they've already established a track record for themselves, or you have no idea who they are, and the track record they may have established with other people, then you're setting yourself up for a problem pullback. Make sense? I hope. Maybe not. All right, dig into it yourself. Verse 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Oh, that's lovely. A lovely picture. Now, I have two dogs. And so if you thought one dog returning to its vomit is an unlovely picture, even more disgusting is when the second dog returns to the other dog's vomit, which I have seen. So we're going to use that picture here for us as well. Uh, And then, of course, we'll go out and get brunch afterwards together. (laughs) Dogs are the best. I know some of you like cats, but I'm praying for you still for growth and things like that. Dogs are great. But their manners and their decision-making sometimes leave something to be desired. And what Solomon does here is he draws to us that age-old practice of dogs returning back to their vomit. And he makes it a graphic depiction of the fool that returns back to his or her folly, I should say. And he uses this image of the dog doing what so many dogs do as a picture of the one that leaves their foolishness for a while only to return to it again with vigor and zest. Now, when, whenever I see one of my dogs eating its own vomit or the other animal's vomit, I don't know. Whenever I see it, I'm disgusted by it. And for whatever reason, I, I run over and I shoo the dog away. No, no. Our family doesn't do that. We don't eat the the vomit of other animals or whatever. And so I get over there. Now my dog hears me scream, and now it's like a rush between me getting over to the dog and the dog eating as much as it can. And so then with vigor, my dog goes crazy for this vomit. I'm sorry. I'm just painting this picture here because this is what happens. And so now with even greater zest, the dog seeks to consume that which is in front of them. Now, the reason why I'm taking time to explain what my dog does and perhaps your dog does as well, because the Apostle Peter draws our... So Solomon's making a point here in the proverb. Peter uses this same verse, and he talks about that vigor and that zest as well uh, in his verse. So this is from 2 Peter chapter 2, a portion of which is from the Proverbs. I'll read it to you. It says, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world... Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Heavy words. Now some read those words, and they conclude that Peter is speaking of a person that has lost their salvation. That is, that they came to know the Lord, they walked with the Lord for a while, they fell away, and now they either need to get saved again, or they face eternal consequences. I am not of that opinion. I'm not of the opinion that Peter is talking about an individual that has lost their salvation. I don't believe the Scripture teaches that you can lose your salvation. Some of you do. I don't necessarily here. Here's what I do know. You keep running your race, and you keep serving the Lord, seeking the Lord, searching the Lord, trusting in the Lord for faith. When you get to the end of your days, He'll welcome you into His kingdom you fall away and you're like well I'm good. I hope I hope so. I hope my theology is correct. Run your race. That I know. Now, what I think Peter is speaking of here is this. The person that comes near to the things of the faith. The person that with their mouth professes an acknowledgement of the truth and perhaps even has made some moral changes in their life, but all the while have never truly been born again from above. That is, as the Apostle Paul will talk about in 2 Corinthians 5, they were never recreated in Christ Jesus. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so here's a person, they come around the things of the Lord, they hear some things, they like some things, they're connecting with people, maybe even they're getting involved in a local church or something like that. They're cleaning up area of their lives. They're becoming a good, upstanding individual of society. But they've never been born from above in their hearts. They experienced some moral reformation, but they've never been, as John 3 says, born again. Quoting this proverb, Peter that says such a person will eventually revert back to their old ways, oftentimes worse than they were before. You remember in Matthew chapter 12 where it talks about a person's life being cleaned of all those demons that he had. And the demons take off and then those demons come back and search a home and they come back seven times even stronger. Because if you're going to put these out of your life, you need to put the Holy Spirit into your life in those instances. And people, they clean up their lives, they clean up their act for a while, but given enough time, they're right back where they started from and many times even worse off from where they were before. Because unless Jesus enters in and gives us a new heart so that from the inside out he begins to renew our minds where we have become and are becoming a new creation in Christ well then we're just a morally reformed person. When you are a spiritually transformed person you think differently. You desire differently. And I think most importantly you are empowered differently. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so may I just say this. If you're trying to get your life together here by coming to Calvary Chapel, you should stop trying to do that. If you're trying to just clean up things, and I want to become, a, you know, I'm growing up, I'm maturing now, I should get my act together, or a family, we just had kids, or whatever, it's time. If you're trying to morally reform your life, you should stop. Because true and lasting and eternal change is when God spiritually transforms our lives. And that happens when we acknowledge that our sin has separated us from God. We confess our need for a Savior and that Jesus alone is that Savior and then we surrender ourselves to Him and to His leading in our lives. And if you've never done that, come see me before we leave today. Now verse 12 is one final verse on the fool. I'll read it to you. It says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for that person or for him. So we've been talking about How dangerous and destructive and and you never want to be a fool and things like that. But Solomon here says there's even one worse than the fool. This is the worst example of being a fool. Because even a fool, an ignorant person, can be brought to their senses if they will allow themselves to be corrected of their folly. And so therefore, worse than even a fool is the person that is wise in their own eyes who will never be corrected. A person that is wise in their own eyes is one that is perfectly satisfied with their own judgment, with their own opinions. They, they seek no insight from others, no counsel from others. In fact, if their opinion differs from another person's opinion, they hold the other person's opinion in contempt. And in reality, they hold the other person in contempt. Because they are wise in their own eyes, they can never be wrong. Again, an ignorant, an ignorant person, they can be helped if they're willing to acknowledge that they're ignorant. But a person that is wise in their own eyes, unfortunately, will never be able to be helped if they continue to refuse to learn or ever be corrected. Now, some of us are probably here thinking of someone. Well, yep, that's Jimmy. That's Bob. If Bob would hear this, no offense, Bob. You know, and some of us here are thinking of other people right now. May I just say this? You and I are the ones that need to hear that proverb about not being wise in our own eyes, because it is our natural inclination to be wise in our own eyes. That is your default, is to be wise in your own eyes without even realizing that you're doing so. Now, of course, that makes perfect sense because few of us set out to do the wrong thing because we know it's the wrong thing, right? I'm just gonna do the wrong thing, I know it's the wrong thing, and so I'm gonna do something dumb. Whatever A few of us do that. We do what we do because we think it is the right thing. But the point then is this, and to keep ourselves from becoming wise in our own eyes, is just because it enters into your thinking doesn't automatically mean it's the correct way to go about things. And wisdom is to recognize that we do not always possess wisdom. And it's to acknowledge that our thinking and our heart posture more than likely may be askew. And to look to the Lord and others to lead us so that we don't go down the path of ignorance. And so, please, you can think of other people and say, hey, I found this great verse. You should meditate on it or whatever. But think about yourself first. And I think about myself first when, and the danger of being wise in our own eyes. Make sense? All right. Now, verses 13 to 16 is another little section of this chapter. It moves on from the fool. Now we're talking about the sluggard. One of our favorite topics in this particular book of Proverbs. He's talked about the sluggard in a number of different instances here. This is the one, again, great intentions, but accomplishes nothing because of continued procrastination. And so of the sluggard, he says this. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. I've referenced this verse a number of different times here. Here's the reality. There probably is no lion in the streets. Because when people go out into the streets, the lions go into their den and they sleep. And then they come out at night when you go into your den to sleep. So more than likely, there is no lion out in the streets. Get out and go to work and do what you need to do. But I'll say this, as I said it before. Even if there is a lion out in the streets, somehow everybody else figures out how to get to work each day and do what they need to do. So stop making excuses here. The real fear, you're not really fearful of the lion. You're fearful of work. And get off your lazy butt and get to work. All right, there you go. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Now, not only then do we see that the sluggard fears his or her work, but we also see that they love their ease. And so this idea of a door swinging sort of back and forth upon its hinges, well, so too then the sluggard, they roll around in their bed, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth never getting up. Now, you hit the snooze button once, that's okay. If it's noon and you're still hitting the snooze button, come on, man. Get up. It's time to stop rolling around in your bed and get to work. I like my bed just as much as you do, I'm sure. I don't know if you know anything about my bed. You shouldn't be there. All right, anyway, But I like my bed just as much as you like your bed. But get up and get to work. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. How pathetic put your spoon down in the dish and you're too tired and lazy to bring it back, you got a problem. All Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's pretty sad when that unkempt guy in his mid-20s that has no job and no prospects and is living in his mom's basement spouts off all of their great wisdom and knowledge, isn't it? Pretty sad when that actually occurs. That that individual is wiser in their own eyes than even seven men who are wise. And so they spout it off and they refuse to learn from anyone else. We learned in verse 12, there's more hope for a fool than a person that is wise in their own eyes. And so again, we guard ourselves from that being us. Now, We looked at the fool, we looked at the sluggard. Starting in verse 17, going to the end of the chapter, is a bunch of individual situations here, or people. Again, the title is How to uh, Deal with a Fool and Other Shady Characters. So now we're going to look at some of those other shady characters. Verse 17, it says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, if you want to get yourself into trouble, then involve yourself in other people's matters. When others are in strife, it's better for the passerby to avoid interference and let the two people settle their differences between themselves. Now, it's different. If they mutually ask you for your involvement, well, then that's another matter. But to just interject yourself into the problem is to invite trouble for yourself. And he gives this picture of grabbing a dog by its ears. Now, if you have your own pet, you can lightly grab your dog by the ear and it'll lick you and you have a special moment there with your the little dog before it goes off and it vomits or something like that. But if you're just kind of wandering down the street and you're like, well, oh, there's a dog, let's grab its ears, and you do so in a forceful manner, well, that dog is going to be angry with you. And so now you can either hold the dog's ears at a distance, his face at a distance, And do nothing else for the rest of the day. Or you can let go of that dog's ears and it'll pounce on you. And now the problem has become your particular problem here. What's your best course of action? Don't involve yourself in matters that don't pertain to you to begin with. And that's Solomon's word of wisdom here. Some of us just like to meddle in other people's matters. Stop. There you go. There's your word of wisdom. Don't do that. verse 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Dangerous and destructive things like a firebrand or an arrow should never be put into the hands of a madman because when those items are not exercised with care, the outcome can be expected. Somebody's going to get hurt. Either that madman is going to get hurt or, more likely, somebody else, an innocent party, is going to get hurt. And Solomon says it's the same idea for the man who goes around wielding deceptions and lies against his neighbor. That he shouldn't be surprised when he harms his neighbor. And to say, after the damage is I'll catch this one. And so here's this guy doing destructive things. He's lying about people. He's deceiving others there. The person now has to deal with the consequences of that man's behavior. And they're like, why did you do that? And the man's response is, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. You were just kidding? Come here. Let me kid a little on your face. You see what I'm saying? Like, what are you talking about? You were just kidding. I, I was reminded of a story. This happened right after 9-11. And if you remember 9-11 in our particular area, we're somewhat close to New York City where the events occurred up there. A lot of people traveled from this area up to there. You remember there were all sorts of reports and rumors of people that were impacted and involved with 9-11. And there was a local establishment in our town, in Ewing here, that is primarily owned by Muslim individuals. Folks, friends of mine, one of the guys in particular is a friend of mine, came here from Egypt. The the family came here from Egypt, two brothers I believe they are, and they run a a great little business. And they work hard at it. And there was a fellow that I was friends with from outside of this little area from, from work and things like that. And he said, hey, did you hear that the FBI raided that business? And they took one of the guys out, and he was involved. Now, we were hearing those kinds of rumors all throughout the state. And they were arresting people that were living in Edison and this and that, and they were involved, and everybody was on edge. And so what did people do with that information about the, the local business and the people that were somehow involved with 9-11? Well, they pulled back, and they immediately began to believe that to be truth. And why well, ain't going into that business. Blow people up if you go into that business. You're probably doing something in that particular business. And so about two weeks later, I'm sitting around with this guy again, and somebody says to him, I've been looking in the paper. I haven't heard anything about that. And he says, oh, I was just kidding about that. I was just kidding about all that. There, there's nothing there. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? Why would you form in all the rest of us these thoughts about that man who's a nice fellow that's doing what he does uh, at his particular shop for no particular reason than a joke? What's the matter with you and the destruction that you could have caused? Because it was a tense time. People could have went there and broke the guy's windows. People could have went there and firebombed the place. It was a crazy time, you may recall. And what would the guy have said then? I was just kidding. Well, you should stop. And so firebrands, arrows, those things can be dangerous if not handled with care. And lies and deception can be dangerous as well. And they could be just as harmful and just as hurtful. And so somebody's going to get hurt. Think before using another person for sport. Amen? Amen. Very important. Very, very important. Continuing, verse 20. It says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Now, a fire can't continue to burn if there's no additional wood. And hot embers, if they're not thrown on that fire to keep it burning, that fire is going to go out. Solomon makes the connection. It's the same. If you remove gossiping from the equation, gossip from the equation, you remove much of the tinder that causes quarrel between various individuals. It's very difficult to avoid quarreling with those that are quarrelsome. And so your best bet is to steer clear of those individuals and so if it's a person who wants to bring gossip don't receive that gossip if it's a person that wants to start trouble let them start trouble with somebody else and stay clear of those particular individuals somebody again brings gossip to you refuse to listen and they'll keep going to tell somebody else and then one thing or another they're going to leave your kind of presence or they'll say well nobody wants to hear the gossip I guess I won't bother anymore." so as well you want to deal with, uh, you want to stop the trouble, the fire of trouble. Well, then stop dealing with the quarrelsome and the gossipers. Verse 23, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. The glaze covering an earthen vessel. That would be, remember we talked about you burn away the dross? Well, that would be taking that dross and then applying it to this just this earthen pot, so it gives this glittery, shiny, silvery appearance to it. And people might look at it and be like, wow, that's really great. But if you do a little bit of investigating, you you soon realize it's a trinket. It's a piece of junk. And Solomon makes the comparison. That's what fervent lips uh, on a person, if you will, with an evil heart is like. They're just like glaze covering an earthen vessel. Their lips burn with pretended love. They can flatter you, they can talk all kinds of wonderful things about you, but it's an insincere flattery only serving to cover up and mask the heart which is full of hatred. And Solomon's word of wisdom is, as we deal with those individuals that try and butter you up and flatter you, is to be on your guard and not allow yourself to be fooled by their attempts to deceive you. See the person for who they really are he continues that theme and he says this whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart when he speaks graciously believe him not for there are seven abominations in his heart though his hatred be covered with deception his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly and so he's painting this picture of the hypocritical flatterer and it goes unspoken certainly don't be the hypocritical flatterer It goes unspoken that that's his point here. But he's really presenting it from the perspective of be on your guard from such a person. They say all the right things to disguise the hatred that they actually have in their hearts to you. You see there in verse 26, they cover up their hatred with deception. And Solomon goes on to say, soon enough, their wickedness will be exposed. And so don't get sucked in. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. Certainly don't be that particular individual employing deception to get over on other people, but be on your guard from those that are going to try and deceive you. Verse 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into that pit, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. It's interesting how God has a way of bringing back upon ourselves those things we intended to be brought against another. And in so many words, again, Solomon says, whoever digs a pit is going to fall into that pit themselves. Whoever rolls the stone so they could push it down the hill on somebody else, they're going to get it to the top of the hill and it's going to roll down on themselves. You remember in the book of Esther, when Haman was hanged upon the very gallows that he had established for Mordecai to be hanged on, the Lord has a way of bringing the evil intents of one back upon uh, the person who sought to employ those evil intents. And so with that, what does that mean? If people are scheming against you, you can entrust yourself to the Lord. Because as we said, the Lord has a way of bringing those evil intents that someone may have against you back upon those individuals themselves. And if you're scheming against somebody else, you want to be careful. Because the Lord has a way of bringing those things back upon yourself. The final verse, verse 28. A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And so the slanderer, that's the lying tongue, and the flatterer, that's the flattering mouth. Now, it's okay to be an encourager, but the Scripture looks down upon the idea of being a flatterer. And there's a little bit of a difference between the two. Encouragement means that with integrity, we build up another person and we acknowledge the good stuff that the Lord is doing in that person and through that person. And we encourage them. We spur them on to go even further. So it's designed to build up the other person. What flattery does, and flattery is designed to cause the other person to think better of me, regardless of what the truth may actually be. And flattery is ultimately designed to deceive a person or finagle a person. And so I'll talk this wonderful game. I'll, get, I'll win your heart. And then I'll get you to do what I want you to do for me. And the scripture looks down upon that. There's a place for encouragement, not a place for flattery. And so the exhortation, don't be those individuals. Don't lie against other people. Don't slander other people. Don't flatter other people with ulterior motives uh, and those sorts of things. And then certainly don't allow yourselves to be taken in by them. An old expression that uh, I like is don't believe the press clippings. And so somebody comes running in and, and spouting off how wonderful you are just live your life you know the reality of who you are all right and just continue to do what you're going to do and if the lord inclines for you to help another one great not because of their flattery but because it's the lord directing and leading don't be deceived by that individual amen good friends all right we'll stop there father thank you for the book of proverbs and lord uh, we thank you for the just simple, practical wisdom, both for our own lives and the type of people we want to become by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And also, Lord, uh, keeping us on our, guards, our guard from those who might uh, want to take advantage of us or deceive us or trick us or lead us down a path uh, that you would not have us to go. And so, Lord, we pray you would apply these things to our lives as we go from here. Lord, you'd cause them to resonate. And even if it's just one truth from this chapter for each of us, Lord, we will will have been blessed for having been here. And so thank you for your word. And we commit ourselves to Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.